You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Welcome to Before They Were Live, an ongoing and monthly conversation about the Disney animated canon in chronological order. Today we are discussing the 11th animated feature from 1949, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. I'm Josh altman and with me as always is the worthy pedagogue, emperor of his classroom, which he rules with lordly dignity, Michael Farmer. Hey, Michael, Hello. how are you doing? Yep, I'm only, uh, I only rule it with lordly dignity, so my students' parents will give me entire turkeys to eat. That's right. Yeah, you you got to be careful which with <laughs> which which students you punish and which you which you withhold the rod from so that that you can get the good stuff at home. So, ah, uh, Ichabod Crane. Ah, uh, Ichabod. Oh, I really enjoyed Ichabod Crane. Um, we should probably start with Mister Toad because he is the uh, the first of the of the two in the in this short or er, this package film. Actually, we've. We should mention that we've reached the end end of the package films. Congratulations, Michael. Yes, uh, we 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 soldiered through, and we are rewarded with, with with what has to be the best of the package films. I agree, it definitely is, and uh, yeah, it's it's really good. You can definitely tell Disney is uh, Disney as a company is hitting its groove. Um, I think we've said that the last couple of weeks, but this one is really. I would say it's definitely top of the package films with these with these two shorts. Uh, one based on. Uh, the Wind in the Willows, and the other one based on the Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So, two classics. Um, have you read? Have you read either of the of the source materials for this? Okay, so I did read The Wind in the Willows before, um, but I didn't really remember it, and I don't remember if I even read like a um, illustrated version that might have been abridged. So for this month, I was trying to get through it, and I I just ran out of time. So I did read parts of it, but I didn't get all the way through it. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, I did read uh, the whole thing. It's shorter, so that was easier to get through. I was uh, surprised. I I read um, Sleepy Hollow several times, but going back to it right after watching the short, I was surprised how closely the dialogue follows straight from the straight from the story. Yeah, it's really it's it's a very true adaptation, I would say. Like, as you said, like a lot of the dialogue is lifted directly from. Uh, um, sorry, now I'm spacing on his name. Washington, right? Washington, Washington Irving. Irving. Yeah, Washington Irving's uh, uh, prose there. They they lift it straight out of it. So, Mister, I, I had never read *Wind in the Willows*, so I went. I was at a bookstore and I said, "Hey, I should try to find *Wind in the Willows* just to." Just to read it, since I'm already here. So I, I bought it and read it on a on a plane a couple of weeks ago. And uh, what a beautiful, mysterious, strange little book that is. Yeah, I started reading it to my kids, which is part of the reason why it was going slow, is because we were reading aloud, um, <laughs> which, which is slower. Um, I would, yeah, definitely I'll finish it with them because it's it is um it's charming for sure. But I I just didn't get all the way through it. It, it doesn't feel as like as true an adaptation to me. From the parts that I read. No, it's 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 quite different. It it has it has much less of that mystery. Um, I mean, there's a there's an extended chapter in Wind in the Willows where uh, Rat and Mole have a religious experience on a lake. Do, do you know? Like, 
uh, that's not in the movie to to, yeah. put, it, to put it lightly. <laughs> but I, I think they mostly get the kind of madcap feeling of the Mr. Toad chapters of Win in the Willows. I think they they mm. get that pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of the religion, man, we we blew this, Michael. Uh, back. I don't know. In one of our first episodes, we were saying, well, this is the most prayer we're ever going to see. And <laughs> I feel like we've seen prayer in almost every movie since. So definitely, um, although we don't get the religious experience on the bank, we do see uh, Toad and, and Rat praying and blessing their food and praying for Mr. Toad. So uh, there's there's a lot more prayer in the Disney canon than I expected. I take it back. When I, when I said that, I completely forgot about the Ave Maria sequence in Fantasia. Yeah, which is just—I mean—that's just flat-out religious art, right? I mean, th- that's not mm-hmm. something incidental. That is the point of that sequence. So anyway, ignore what we said in the first episode. I think it was mostly yeah. me. Well, I agreed with you. I didn't—I didn't call you on it. So, I and I wouldn't have known better. I—I I didn't. Most of these I had not seen or haven't seen in such a long time that I would not have remembered them. So, um, I'm not sure that I ever saw either of these. Um, I was familiar with the look of. Um, the water rat and the mole uh, from this one because they make a, a cameo appearance, I guess, and uh, Mickey and the Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh yeah, that's right. They do, don't they? They're they're the ones yeah. who come asking for alms. Yeah. So I think I recognized them from that, and then it was making me think: Had I seen this or not? But um, I don't think I've seen it. So. I watched both of these dozens and dozens of times when I was a kid, such that so I was born in 1982. Uh, for some reason. My parents took me to see Who Framed Roger Rabbit in the theater when it came out in 88 or 89. I was far too young. I mean, that, that movie is not at all for children. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was I was very proud of myself for recognizing that the weasels in that movie come from Mr. Toad. That I, I felt like nobody else in the world knew that except me. Such that That's how important Mr. Toad was to me. Yeah. And then when we went to Disney World for the first time, and here's here's where most people, I think, remember Mr. Toad, is Disney World used to have a ride called Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, in which you hop into a motor car, get hit by a train, and go to hell. Uh, and it, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's this weird, like, psychedelic exercise. It still exists at Disneyland, if you want to go find it and uh, frighten the hell out of your children, as as the hell was frightened out of me. I wouldn't ride anything else the entire trip. I was That was the first thing we wrote. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I was a, I was a Mr. Toad super fan when I was a kid, and I- Ichabod Crane too. I remember that that short, the the part at the end with the headless horseman, really really frightened me. In fact, mm-hmm. I th- I may have told the story last month. I can't remember, but um, Sleepy Hollow was on my um, on my comps list. So when I did my comprehensive exams, my oral exams, I talked about how frightening it was, and. Uh, one of my interlocutors said, you must have grown up with the Disney movie, and that's why you think it's frightening, because the story itself is not nearly as scary as the last ten minutes or so of, of the animated movie. Yeah, as, yeah. <laughs> as we said, it's a, very, it's a very accurate adaptation, but the, the film version with the, I guess, just the sights and the sounds of it is, is definitely much more uh, thrilling and scary than the, than the written word. But the sense of humor and everything else comes right out of the Washington Irving story. So, Yeah, and these two both together, I think this is the funniest that we've seen. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been funny moments, but just the, the, 
the rate of jokes and humor in these, I thought, was just tremendous. I, I laughed all the way through through both of these. So more than really, it, not just the other shorts, right? More than anything, any of the movies. Yeah, anything we've seen so far, for sure, or maybe anything we're going to see. I don't. I mean, Disney movies definitely have their funny moments, but I feel like this these were both uh, pretty straight comedy until you hit the the scary bit. Um, <laughs> at the very end, they're they're pretty much just you know very humorous all the way through. Yeah, and and we've talked about it with the other shorts that sometimes, like Casey at the Bat, for example, feels mm. like the the humor in that would have done better if it had been done by Chuck Jones or somebody over at Warner Brothers. Uh, but this really feels both Disney and kind of zany, and the zany's not a not a word you use a lot for Disney cartoons, but here you are. Yeah. I, yeah, it's not, um, yeah, it's not the same as the, the Looney Tunes style of humor. It's, it's more, I don't know, it's the, um, it's like the physical humor, especially in, in, with, uh, Ichabod, which maybe we'll talk about more, uh, when we get to it, but just the, yeah, the, the way that they, they drew his movements, it's, it's just innately funny just watching the guy. So, um, yeah, there's something about the physical humor of these ones. Um, if you can call it that as it's all drawn, you know, but <laughs> I don't know really, what else to call it. Yeah. It's very, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's of that sort of era of, of comedy. I mean, the, the only modern person who comes to mind who, who does anything similar would be somebody like, uh, um, oh, Mr. Bean, but what's his real name is, um, Rowan Atkinson. Yeah, yeah, someone like him, you know, does that that real physical humor, but it's really kind of a throwback to, uh, you know, more like the Charlie Chaplin's and Buster Keaton's and and those types of things. Yeah, it's a blast. Oh, so first of all, we start in the library, um, which reminded me, it seemed like it was the library straight out of Fun and Fancy Free, right? With uh, It had a very similar vibe. I could, I was waiting for Jiminy Cricket to pop, pop out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we get a um, what's what's this guy's name? Basil Rathbone. Back. He's best known yeah. for playing Sherlock Holmes in the radio program, and I think early television, maybe some films. But okay. he, he's the only thing anybody remembers him for is Sherlock Holmes. Okay, and uh, so he he asks the question: Who is the most fabulous character in English literature? Um, which I know you're not English, you're more American guy, but I was I thought I'd throw it at you. What do you What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I think <laughs> at the very least we're supposed to uh, we're supposed to think Sherlock Holmes, right? If you're familiar with Basil Rathbone, you must think that he's going to say, "Well, of course it's Sherlock Holmes." <laughs> I think he does mention Sherlock Holmes, doesn't he? He goes through uh, he goes through a series of them, and it's all with one exception that I now can't remember. It's all. Uh, future movies, although they wouldn't have known that at the time, because of course they turned right. Sherlock Holmes into the great rat detective. Great mouse That's detective, right. excuse me. Yeah, and they, uh, Robin Hood I know they mentioned, and Arthur, uh, King Arthur, um, yeah. both, of, both of which we'll see. All, all um, good picks. Yeah. Maybe Falstaff is, uh, is more outrageous, but I can't imagine a children's movie based on Falstaff. 
Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. He's he's yeah. um he's King Henry's fat uh uh alcoholic friend in one of the King Henry plays and then Mary Wives of Windsor. He's a he's a historical figure whom audiences love so much in the history plays that they brought him back as a fictional character in in uh, Mary Wives of Windsor, which is a comedy. So uh, yeah. I, I think he, oh, he he survives mostly to, today in the uh, adjective Falstaffian, which is what you call a big fat guy who drinks too much if you don't want to offend him. <laughs> All right, I'll keep that in mind. Um, just in case, <laughs> yeah, if you ever need, if you ever need a term for like Roger Ebert, uh, a man of Falstaffian appetites, he would say. Mm. All right. Anyway, Toad's a pretty good pick, I suppose. Less yeah, well known than those other people. Yeah. Yeah, Jay Thaddeus Toad Esquire. Yeah, he both he and uh, Crane are Esquire. Both he and who? Uh, Ichabod Crane. He's also. Oh. He's also Esquire. I looked it up. It means two different things in America and England. In England, it is a kind of lower nobility title, which makes sense given who Toad is. And Wind in the Willows is, at least in part, a satire on the British upper class. Um, But uh, in America, it just means you're a lawyer, typically, which, as far as I know, Ichabod Crane is not, but maybe he is. His past is shrouded in mystery. So uh, we're set in the Wind of the Willows. We're set in a very strange town. Uh, it's got humans, um, but also the animals living in, like the postman is a is a human, and the all the uh, the judge and the police are all, all are, are all human, um, which I don't know. It just struck me as odd. <laughs> yeah, they seem to think nothing of the talking animals. You wonder if everybody's a vegetarian. Do people eat frogs' legs? In, uh, yeah. in the wind and the willows. Yeah, well, and <laughs> which is a, a yeah, that's a great moment in uh, uh, the Muppet movie, right? When the the lady uh, orders frog legs in front of Kermit. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, well, I mean, later they're they're eating some sort of bird <laughs> at Christmas time. Uh, mole and ratty are so, or mole and rat, or whatever they're called. So, anyway, I I, I just thought it was odd, and then the, the whole the, yeah. Um, the so the the I guess we should give a summary of it. Uh, basically, Toad Hall is the the pride of the of this town, and uh, Toad lives there. Of course, it's his ancestral home, and uh, he's in danger of losing it because of all of his um, manias. Is the is the yeah. term they use? Right, and uh, so. Um, so his friends come along to try and 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 you know rein him in and stop him from from being able to uh, continue racking up his bills. All all his fines are for destroying things with his various manias, um, running through them with. I I, I suppose uh, the the first mania that we see is he's he's got a carriage um, that he's riding roughshod through town. Um, with his horse book, friend Cyril. Yeah, which I loved. I love Cyril. Um, in the book, I think he starts his first mania is the boats, and then he moves on to to other things quickly. But anyway, um, yeah, just a wild guy Toad is, and so his friends are trying to rein him in. Um, Toad uh, escapes from them, and then ends up arrested. Uh, there's a trial scene. Uh, Toad is sentenced to jail. Um, he's uh, rescued from jail by Cyril. Um, he breaks out. And then is discovered to actually be innocent. 
there's a, a whole adventure sequence where they're, they're trying to prove Toad's innocence and then, uh, yeah, basically happily ever after, but Toad, Toad is still a maniac. So. Yeah, the, the, the end, the end shot is of him flying a biplane. Right. So, yeah, all that to say, I mean, just in summary, so that people understand what we're talking about if you haven't seen it or you're not familiar with the story. But I found the setting just really interesting and strange. Just the, um, you know, Toad Hall is his ancestral home, but it seems too big for him. Like all the doorknobs are up above the heads of the animals. And I was like, who is this? Who is this house built for? I don't understand. Um, I wonder if he shares it with some human noble who uh, yeah. who, who lives there or lived yeah. there. Yeah, um, it, it reminded me of the uh, McDuck Mansion actually a little bit. Just that that big curved, uh, large staircase. Um, but the McDuck also- Mansion, correct me if I'm wrong, is built proportionally to Scrooge's size. I believe so. Yeah. But anyway, yes, the the occupants of this world are uh, are strangely chosen. <laughs> yeah, but- and and that's true to the true to the books as well. There seem to be human beings in the books uh which the animals kind of avoid but also live among it's hard to tell yeah, i mean even even if they didn't mix you you would think that the uh the humans would be aware of the very large toad shaped uh mansion uh on the riverbank you know what i mean like toads yeah. aren't microscopic you would be able to see his house it's huge <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so Anyway, that just struck me as funny. But the oh, well, and in the fun, grand tradition so. of children's books, uh, Graham doesn't explain any of this. Uh, but that's that's very typical of children's books. It's one of the things that makes them wonderful. These these kind of absurd, fantastic situations are not explained at all. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it works perfectly. And so, yeah, I would I wouldn't take it away or have it any differently. I just I thought it was worth mentioning. Um, so yeah, we start the start it with um it basically starts with um I think Rat gets a gets the notice um that he needs to come to the to the mansion immediately and uh there we meet uh McBadger who is trying to put all of um all of Toad's things in order. He he reminded me very much of Friar Tuck. Just the mm-hmm. appearance, not not anything else, but he looked very much like Friar Tuck. Friar Tuck's a badger, uh, right? I think so. I think they're both badgers. I wasn't, I'm not entirely sure on that, but, um, yeah. Um, and then badger basically sets that premise of, uh, rat, mole, you got, you, you guys are Toad's best friends and you need to, you need to rein him in. Yeah. So. And we should point out maybe that rat is quite a bit different than his counterpart in the book. In the book, rat is a kind of hail fellow, well met. Uh, but in the movie, he's stuffy. Yeah, it works. Kinda, you know who cares? <laughs> yeah, he's got a bit of the Sherlock Holmes look about him. Yeah, he really does. He wears the deerstalker hat, and yeah. so I gotta say, Molly is just adorable. He really is. <laughs> Molly is the star of this short, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I could not get enough of him and his whole little outfit. I just I love the whole thing. I I feel like I need a um, to get my kids a a stuffed uh, or like a plush Molly. With the with the whole outfit and the the boiler hat boiler hat and everything because he's just really well done character design. David Grubbs from the uh, Christian Humanist podcast is fairly moly esque. Is he? <laughs> yeah, I think in terms of personality. 
Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit on their personality. So um, we've got um, as friends, um, we're looking at these two. Uh, you've got Rat, who is just very stern and strict, and lectures Toad. Um, Mole, Molly, who seems to almost immediately forget that he's even supposed to be um, doing anything. Molly uh, is they... a, is a Hufflepuff before there was a Hufflepuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's 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 so incredibly loyal and sweet. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and just goes right along with whatever Toad wants. And um, Toad Toad invites him up onto the carriage um, that they're supposed to be getting him off of, and Molly's just ready to go. He starts climbing right up. So, um, and then in the yeah the, later in the court courthouse scene, um, you know Molly's cheering for Toad and giving him waving at him and just you know basically cheering him on the whole time. Um, so yeah. Uh, I guess I'm just I'm kind of curious as like I mean obviously these are two kind of extremes of a of a friendship sort of spectrum but um I, I guess I don't even know what my question is just you know the how when when you have a friend in trouble <laughs> is it better to be like Molly or is it better to be like Rat? Well, I think what really defines both of them is their loyalty. Rat is very very strict, but ultimately he's on. Toad's side and does as much as anybody to uh, to save him. I, I think really the the characters in this in this short are fantastic examples of friendship. I mean, all three of them they they're, they all as you say have different personalities, but all of them are there when Toad needs them. And Cyril too, I should say. Cyril gets him into some trouble at the beginning of the of the movie, but it's Cyril who breaks him out of prison. And if he hadn't done that, um, none of the none of the other ones would have had the chance to exercise their own loyalty uh yeah to toad yeah that's right um which cyril knows that he's innocent because he knows the true story and you kind of get the impression that rat is not so sure like <laughs> he, he he apologizes to toad he says that he misjudged him well i mean i think as i recall he demands that toad go back to prison um yeah when, when when toad has escaped and then when he realizes he he was wrong he he immediately apologizes and and toad immediately forgives him because uh, i mean they really they really do have a close relationship as close of a relationship as you can have with somebody like toad who uh i i my guess is very difficult to get along with (laughs) yeah um yeah so when we first meet toad he's uh our first introduction to him is he's he's on the carriage uh and he's with cyril the horse and they're just rampaging through town and they're singing the, I, I i think this is the only real song in the in the short it is yeah wrong. we're but, merrily on our way to nowhere in particular it's a great song really great yeah really wonderful and uh yeah and you just get the idea that this this is toad he's he's merrily on his way to nowhere in particular and not really particularly um interested in he's, where he's going he's not a big just, thinker is that, is, is that fair enough to say yeah i think so although he does very well defending himself in the courtroom um so he, he apparently does have that that ability to his his, his rhetoric is is good but even that's a joke to him right because he dresses up like the lawyer to to in, interrogate i mean yeah. he, he he really doesn't take very much seriously because well i mean partly because that's what's funny and you know all cartoons need a force for chaos 
but it also seems like a problem with Toad. I mean, the, the thing that gets him into trouble is that he he refuses to to take things seriously. He doesn't I mean in the in the book he crashes ten or twelve cars before the before the scene where he steals one, which he actually does in the book. He does steal it. Mm. Um, but uh, he, here 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 you don't get that. It's the it's the very first time he tries to get a car. Yeah. Yeah, so do you want to talk a little bit about Toad's mania here while we're on Toad? Yeah, so I have bipolar disorder, and it is difficult for me to watch this and not see Toad as also being bipolar. I mean, they use the word mania over and over and over again, and I I don't think that's an accident. Like, in a manic state, you do things like Toad does. You spend all your money, you drive really fast, you're, you're not capable of thinking about the consequences, and then when you're in your depressive state, you look like Toad in the prison where, I mean, nothing has meaning. Of course, I think all of us would feel that way if we were in Toad's particular prison cell on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely I definitely see bipolar disorder in Toad, and I don't think it's just uh, wanting to see myself up on screen. These these manias he gets into where he he is super passionate about some weirdo thing for three weeks and then immediately forgets about it. My wife, uh, my wife told me that's, uh, that's what it's like to live with me to some extent. I'm not as bad as Toad, I think. <laughs> Has your wife locked you in your room and, and refused to let you go out, refused to like, give you pocket money? I think she, um, I think she did consider having me committed once, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I probably would have just tied the bed sheets together and climbed out the window. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's really fundamental to his character. And I know that Toad in the book is based on Kenneth Graham's son who had some mental illness issues. So oh, that really? makes it maybe less funny, but maybe not. I mean, I, I can certainly laugh at Toad's uh, nonsensical antics. But I, the, uh, the phrase that McBadger uses, and I wrote this down, what good are his promises when these wild manias take him? So he he when he's out of them when he's in the depressive stage he he tells his friends I'm never going to do that again, and it's almost like he's a different person when the mania comes over him. Mm-hmm. And part yeah, of that is then, a, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say there's a scene in the book also. I mean, obviously we're talking about the movie, not the book, but there's a scene in the book that really uh, captures that where Badger has taken him into uh, some some room the the library or lounge or something and um has lectured him and in there he's made all these promises and then he brings him out and says now tell you know ratty and mole what you promised me in there and toad says well actually i don't think i will (laughs) because uh yeah in there you had a point but out here i feel totally different so yeah there's a sense in which there are multiple toads and none of them are in conversation with each other and yet there's also no new toad toad is never going to change or if he does it's just going to be a change in the novelty he's seeking that's the great gag with the airplane at the end i mean in some sense, this is the same toad it's always been, only he's chosen an even more destructive implement. It's really sad if you sit down and think about it. 
<laughs> you right. know? What a horrible but, life he has. Yeah. But the movie doesn't come across that way, so is that just a um uh like you said there is it there is a humor in it and and there's a you know, is there an element of, you know, seeing the good in it or finding the joy in it? I mean there's a bit of uh at least from the narrator's part, there's a bit of like uh jealousy like of you know yeah uh toad's a little out of control but but he gets higher highs than the rest of us too you know yeah and i I should say i've never had a full-out mania like the one that uh the the ones that toad undergoes in this movie but uh hypomania uh if it's if it's not an anxious hypomania that's the state just below mania it's pretty much the best thing you can feel so uh yeah <laughs> I think I think in 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 some ways it, that that's true to the true to the real life experience of bipolar although I think I think Toad must be terrified when he's going through that stuff that they, they do a pretty good job like like when he's um when he's thinking about the car he he's just making car noises and his uh his eyes have turned into hypnotists uh circles Yeah Do you know what I mean like that that can't be a fun experience for him even though his actual antics seem to be a good time for him. I don't know. I'm, I'm yeah. kind of torn on this short because of it. I don't. I don't want to. It, it doesn't really feel like they're making fun of bipolar disorder. It feels like it feels like you wouldn't know he had that unless you sat down and thought about it. And of course, most of the children watching this short do not sit down and think about it. I certainly didn't. Yeah. But I was I was trying to figure out if there was even a redemptive arc to it because he doesn't I mean he ends up in some ways in a worse place than he began like as you just said like his his new implement is is more destructive than I mean he starts on a carriage and then he moves to a car and then he ends on a plane you know and they're both both more destructive of the countryside and and I, I think Edwardian England is very concerned about the car destroying the English countryside. Um, they're both more destructive for the countryside and for himself because, I mean, he's going to wreck that biplane and probably die in it. And even if he doesn't do that, he's going to completely destroy the the toad lineage, you know. Number one, he doesn't have any children. Um, But there are very few female characters in The Wind and the Willows. If any, there's the washerwoman in the book, but anyway. Uh, I was going to say, are there any in this short? I can't think of any. I mean, maybe... I don't Unless think any of those weasels are, are women, <laughs> we don't really we don't really see them uh, except for running around. But yeah, I don't think there are any in the um, shorts. So, but but I yeah, mean, so you that, have a kind of end of the air. Both toad. I'm oh, sorry. No, no, please go on. <laughs> I was just going to say Toad and Cyril both dress as women, but. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but you, so you you get a kind of end of the aristocracy thing with Toad. He's decadent in a way that the poorer characters are not decadent. Or I should say the middle class characters are not decadent. Rad and Mole are, are perfectly happy with this quiet country life, right? And it's Toad who interrupts that, who's, who, who again is the force for chaos. And what's interesting to me is the other force for chaos is Cyril, who is at the opposite end of the class spectrum, right? So Toad is an arist- aristocrat. He's very high up. Cyril has a Cockney accent. Mm. He's, he's, a, he's a British redneck, essentially. Yeah. So, so I, I think that's interesting that those are the forces for chaos that go over against the the kind of quiet middle class life that uh, Ratty and Molly and Badger are are leading. Yeah, but it's not really a triumph of the middle class because they, I mean, they don't, they're yeah, they're not able to in any way rein that in unless 
I mean, unless, as you say, like we're supposed to take from it, well, this is going to be the end of Toad because he's going to he, he's going to crash that plane and die, you know? Right. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think I think the anxiety that this short shows is a very middle class anxiety. Uh, you know, Disney's always been a middle class company, even even when they get incredibly successful and rich, they're pitching these things largely at the middle class. And so, I mean, you're suspicious both of people who haven't inherited their wealth. And who are who are squandering it, and you're suspicious of people who don't have any wealth, who who also threaten to disrupt, you, you know. And I I didn't plan on going here, but it reminds me a little bit of um, of Matthew Arnold, the great Victorian cultural critic. It reminds me of his distinction between the middle class, which he likes, the Philistines, who are the uh, who are the lower classes, who he fears are uneducated and will be rising up against the middle class and then the barbarians the upper class who have no use for the things that sustain human life because they're so rich I, I, I wonder if anybody has read Wind in the Willows through Matthew Arnold's schema yeah that would be interesting to know and if you haven't you know this, <laughs> this is what? something that apparently we do on this show is come up with academic uh, paper topics <laughs> hey take it I'm not, I'm not going to write that one probably <laughs> yeah I do enjoy ruining these movies for people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so funny because I think I, – I don't think you're ruining it for them. I mean but but one of the stated purposes of the show is to um, increase our enjoyment by, you know, uh, watching in community. So it's funny that you say um, that you're ruining it for people. Um, yeah, that's really – that's all very interesting. I, I don't know where to go from there though because I really was trying to find a um, – yeah, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess that the, the the as you said, if it, it's just Disney pitching to the middle class, like your your class is the best class. Um, I guess it works on that level, but that's not really uh, very redemptive or um, I don't know, hopeful even. Well, you think about the difference between this movie and Dumbo, which which we also got, or Victoria at least got very personal when we talked about the the arc in Dumbo is to redeem his disability, to take it and turn it into a superpower. There's no, there's no, as you said, there's no real redemptive arc here. Uh, Mr. Toad's bipolar is in full force at the end of the short, and, and you know, there's something very sad about that, although, you know, what, what do we want? Do we want them to uh, start administering him lithium? At the <laughs> at the end yeah, of the short, so, so maybe that's it. Is it's uh, um, it's a triumph of friendship because they're still friends with him. That's like right. They're, they're, they're still, his anchor. Know, yeah, yeah. So I I I think maybe going back to what you said uh, earlier on about how you know they both uh, or all three of them really are showing a great deal of loyalty to to one another. Um, so maybe. Maybe that's what it really is. The the theme here is the the triumph of that friendship and the way the friendship can overcome whatever difficulties you know, whether it's uh, you know bipolar disorder or, or anything else, you know. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that both both of the shorts here have sad endings, more or less. Yeah, yeah, that is true. They're both. Um, yeah, they're both a little. But the, I don't find them unsatisfying in any way. So no. I mean, it's not a. Um, I guess I guess what's interesting about it is that you you would tend to think 
Uh, oh, it's Disney, so it's happy endings, right? Disney's always happy endings, and, not, and neither of these are necessarily very happy endings. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the Disney um, approach is much more nuanced than people sometimes give it credit for being. Yeah, which I think is something that uh, maybe is a sub theme of of our shows so far. It seems like that that comes out quite often. That um, yeah, there's a there's a kind of <laughs> as much as um, you know, Disney, Disney, the company is accused of kind of, uh, you know, rounding the corners on everything. I think people's view of, of what Disney does is also, <laughs> they, they round the corners off and just kind of peg it as, you know, this sort of, uh, whatever, you, you know, happy, happy endings and, you know, fairy dust or whatever. So. Well, I mean, what's interesting is they, they made both of these stories darker than the originals because in the in Wind in the Willows the Mr. Toad chapters are a relatively small part of the book and the rest of the book is about this very charming quiet country life that Ratty and Mole lead um, and and Ichabod Crane in the in the book I think it's much more implied that there is no headless horseman that this is a gag that Brom Bones has pulled mm-hmm. um yeah, so it, I mean, it's interesting that we we talk about the Disneyfication of fairy tales, and there's some truth to that, right? I mean, the Grimm's version of Snow White is substantially darker than the Disney version, but both of these <laughs> both of these are much darker than the originals. Although simultaneously, they're played for laughs more than the originals. So the darkness in them, you don't really realize it's darkness until you take a step back. Yeah. Yeah, kind of uh, the 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 humor of them could almost cover cover some of that darkness. So maybe that makes it uh in in a way. Well, I don't I don't know what that means. If that's like a um, it's they're they want you to think about it, and so they're delivering it in a in a you know it's the it's the pill and the sugar, <laughs> you know, or if it's a um, yeah. Yeah, I don't have an answer to that. Yeah, I don't either. Um, yeah, anyway, this is a really, yeah, really uh, interesting conversation on the Toad. I, I was not, <laughs> not what I was, um, never, I'm never sure where it's going to go, and I really enjoy it. So, um, um, One other thing to say about Toad is, is Cyril is played by the character actor J. Pat O'Malley, who will appear in several other Disney features, most uh, prominently probably as Colonel Hardy from uh, from The Jungle Book. Okay, yeah. So this is his first appearance. In fact, I think this is very early in his career, but this is his first appearance of many in Disney movies. Yeah. Cyril the horse looks very, um, I don't know, He he he's definitely drawn in the, in the, in a certain style that I couldn't quite place, but maybe it just feels like that early Disney um, cartoony sort of style or something. I don't know. Um, it's a very different looking kind of horse character, but I really, I really enjoyed him. He definitely has the best. I think he has the best joke in the, uh, in the short where he's, he's being interrogated by the lawyer and uh, he says, uh, Toad did it. How, how, he says Toad did it like an honest man or, or the honest way and the, and the lawyer says oh yeah and what's that and he says I thought you wouldn't know that 
<laughs> well, and there, there too, you have that class anxiety, right? Because you have this this Cockney character making an idiot out of an upper class lawyer. Yeah. So that th- that's not really played for anxiety, though. That's played for laughs because we all hate the lawyers. Yeah. In some ways, we <laughs> only like Toad because he's a bad aristocrat. <laughs> Uh, Cyril's animation reminded me of Casey Jones, or Casey at the Bat. <laughs> I get them confused, like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he, re- he reminded me of Casey at the Bat. He looks like a horse version of that. Um, and okay. he even, as I recall, even has a 5 o'clock shadow, is that right? That his muzzle uh, is, is darker than the rest of his face? <laughs> I didn't notice that. But I could yeah, be I wrong. Would, you, you could be right, too. I didn't notice that. Um, I only watched this one once, I'm ashamed to say. Yeah, so the the um, I think the characters throughout are all just lovely in in this one. There's not much to say about the rest of it. The the um, there's very little background. Um, when they're outdoors, it might be like a few clouds, you know, because it's kind of at an angle where you're you're just seeing sky. Um, and then uh, or they're they're close ups, and so you're just seeing a little bit. You know, they spend a they spend a portion of the movie in the mansion, which we should talk about the uh, the attack on the weasels. It was a, <laughs> one of the all time great um, animated sequences in in a Disney movie. For sure, it was so good. And I believe um, they reused some of the animation for that. You know, in the late '60s, they start reusing animation because mm-hmm. they have another budget crisis. And I, I think yeah. I think that gets reused in the Jungle Book. In, in oh, the, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I recognized that right away. I was like, I have seen this scene before. <laughs> um, Wait a second. Uh, yeah. So in the in the Jungle Book, if if you're more familiar with the Jungle Book, it's the scene where um, Mowgli is has been. Uh, captured by the monkeys and he meets King Louie and then uh, Baloo and Bagheera break in and they're, they're trying to steal him out. And there's that, that fight scene that, that ensues and um, Mowgli's getting passed around between them. And uh, it's, it's the exact same scene uh, here, except that um, yeah, they're, they're running around with some paper instead of with Mowgli. But yeah. Yeah, but that, so, yeah, that's a great that's a great scene, and and you see Toad using his uh, chaos for a purpose. He makes you, you'll remember that the deed to Toad Hall has been folded into a paper airplane, and uh, Toad makes a bunch of other paper airplanes and throws them around the room. So for once, yeah. for once, his uh, his penchant for chaos is is turned to a good purpose. That's right. Which allows them both to escape, and also allows Toad to somehow end up with the <laughs> with the right one, which which they were looking for, which was great. Um, yeah, really lovely scene, um, and it's got everything in it, right? Like, I mean, it starts out with them sneaking in. All the badgers are um, are passed out, drunk <laughs> from partying because they've they've captured quote unquote Toad Hall. Toad actually traded it to them <laughs> for a car, which is uh, ridiculous, but. Um, so and then yeah so there's the kind of suspense as they're sneaking in they're trying to steal the deed they're they're lowering mole down on a on a on a bed sheet over a banister very uh mission impossible-esque <laughs> and he's you know he's uh trying to grab the grab the deed without waking anybody up and then of from course, the terrifying mr winky yeah that guy is terrifying for sure <laughs> his <laughs> teeth are so big yeah. In a movie filled with animals, he looks like he's the one who's going to eat everybody. Yeah. But a lovely, uh, just, yeah, just so much little, little details in these that, that help get the character, you know, so he's always, uh, pulling on the, both his, his eyebrows and his, 
and his mustache are both basically the same shape. Um, but then when he's when he's in the at, in the courtroom being uh, interrogated, he's rubbing down the the stand like it's a like it's a bar because he's a he's a barkeeper. <laughs> so just so many little little gags like that too. It's just really great. Yeah, it's a, it, it really is a wonderful short, uh, especially compared to the other ones we've seen. Um, the last the last few episodes like this this is just uh, this is this is top notch or at least uh, almost top notch. Art Bodkins, Gad Zeus, look at that old spook of spooks. Who's that coming down the street? Are they shovels or are they feet? Yeah, so Ichabod Crane, uh, or Old Icky, <laughs> as uh, Bing Crosby calls him. Uh, Bing Crosby narrates this. I think he does a wonderful job. It is uh, as Bing Crosby as narration gets. If you've ever heard the old Bing Crosby radio show, this is exactly the way he talks uh, on that radio show. Like he he uses these these very long words combined with uh, with 1940s slang, calls people things like icky. Yeah. Uh, so if you like this, definitely go hunt down the uh, the old Bing Crosby radio show. I'll have to do that. And at the end of this one, I told my wife, I said, I wish I sounded like Bing Crosby. Like, what a voice. (laughs) We all do. So cool. So cool. Um, And this one has several songs, uh, which makes sense as as Bing Crosby's narrating it. And I think they're all they're all quite good. Um, But. Yeah, do you want to do the summary of this one? I did the summary of the last one. So Yeah, so we have Sleepy Hollow, which is a real town um, north of New York City. Uh, it's a quiet town, kind of ruled with uh, good-natured bullying by a guy named Brom Bones. Everybody loves him, even though uh, he certainly appears to be a jerk to me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of a Gaston character. Yeah, yeah, but not as um, not as arrogant, maybe. He, he's not as threatening as Gaston is. There, yeah. there is the sense that he, you know, he's probably 19 years old. He's just, you know, he's kind of a jerk. Um, one day, this completely off-character model guy named Ichabod Crown, uh, Crane comes to town, and he, uh, he, he's the schoolmaster. All the women in town are mad about him for reasons that are never really made clear. Uh, he is mostly interested in the women, in that they can provide him food, for which he has a bottomless appetite. Uh, until one day he meets Katrina, who is the daughter of the richest man in town. He falls both in love with her and her uh, and her father's money. Uh, and then uh, Brom Bones, being jealous at a at a Halloween party, tells him the story of the headless horseman. Ichabod has been proven to be very suspicious, and so he's very frightened as he rides home. Uh, at which point the headless horseman actually appears, chases him for a solid ten minutes. That uh, that sequence is much longer than I remembered it being. <laughs> um, and the the short ends with a pumpkin being thrown into the 
into the camera, and then a, a brief epilogue where it, it said that Ichabod Crane was never heard from again, although there were rumors that he uh, had taken a wife somewhere else. So, uh, yeah, that's that's Sleepy Hollow, and as I said, it's pretty close to the to the book. In fact, some of the lines that Bing Crosby says come right out of the book, which, you know, Bing Crosby's the right guy to read that kind of pompous early 19th century English. Yeah, that was, that was well done. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so uh, where do we want to start? Uh, it, <laughs> What, what to say? I just, I loved it. The, so this one, you, you started with uh, Sleepy Hollow being a real town and, you know, they start with a map of, of upper New York, which is beautiful. And this, I mean, this short just starts off really lovely. Like they, as they, the, the map looks really nice. And then as they zoom into it, it kind of gets a kind of a, you know, um, it, it starts as that kind of like straight down, uh, what almost, um, Winnie the Pooh, Hundred Acre Wood style map, right? And then they kind of zoom into it, and it becomes more realistic. But it's just—it's like upstate New York in the fall, like it's just gorgeous, right? Like, yeah. I how much do you want to live in Sleepy Hollow? Oh yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, it's beautiful. All the backgrounds in this one are are really nicely done. I I really enjoyed this one. Um, I thought, yeah, just in in that sense, this is the superior of the two. And then, um, and then the yeah, just the the little character flourishes. Uh, they, as you said, Ichabod Crane is is known for being uh, suspicious and or superstitious, I should say. And um, it, you know, as as you introduce the character, he's he's walking into town and there's a ladder and he avoids it. And there's a black cat and he, you know, he pushes the black cat out of the way and uh, so the the black cat doesn't cross his path. So you know. Um, yeah, you you get that kind of foreshadowing of his character, and it's all done in this style. Like he's just the way he moves. It's um, I forget the way that they actually describe it in the movie, but um, yeah, it's like it's it's so smooth, you know. Like as as kind of like awkward and funny as it is, it's also very like um, I don't know, gracious in a way. Yeah, and it it fits in with his bizarre status as a ladies man right yeah it's not it's, it's definitely not clear in the movie <laughs> and definitely the way he looks um it's it's yeah he looks very different and odd in the in the movie um and he is no less a jerk than brom bones right i mean it, it oh, could not be not. more transparent that he is just using these women so they'll bake pies for him yes yeah yeah, he's not a hero. That's for sure. He's not a hero. I read a Heroic review character. of this movie that said um, the difference between the two heroes is that Mr. Toad deserves what happen deserves what's hap- what happens to him, and Ichabod Crane doesn't. But I don't see how Ichabod Crane doesn't, because I mean, besides the obvious gluttony, he's guilty of of at least lust and and greed as well because the, he, he wants to marry Katrina at least 50% because her father's rich. There's an extended <laughs> sequence where he imagines all the vegetables on the farm turning into money. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's even more clear in the book that he it is. is really after her, not for who she is at all. Whereas in, in this one, it, there's a little more of a sense of that. She's the town beauty. And so, I mean, that's, no less shallow a reason to to want to marry somebody but um 
He is uh, he is a venal man. I'm not sure he deserves to have a flaming pumpkin thrown into his head, but uh, he he's a, he's an anti-hero to say the least. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, but he's got away with the ladies. So my favorite and scene, and I, I referenced this at the beginning of the uh, the episode. My favorite scene is where he's about to discipline a boy, and then he remembers that. This boy's mother makes delicious food, and so he, he lays off of him. Yeah, that's a really good one. And then the the one I love is actually at the uh, at the party. Um, there's a dance, and apparently Brom cannot dance, which is is interesting because he seems a very like athletic type, but he's not a dancer. Um, whereas Ichabod is, and Ichabod uh, ends the ends the dance with. Dancing on it, like he's got. He gets a pumpkin rolling like a ball, and he's dancing on top of the pumpkin and spinning all around. And I really, uh, I just the the movement in this one, I just I loved it so much. It just made me smile all the way through. Yeah, it's great. It's great animation, and because he's so off model, they get to have a lot of fun with the way he moves, as opposed to the way everybody else moves. He really does. Right. I mean, part of what this demonstrates is that he's an outsider to this very small, um, closed off town. And so, I mean, he really looks like he's walked in out of another cartoon. <laughs> That's right. That's a really good way to put it. And I think the the fact that it's a cartoon, too, that, not to hammer on this too much, but it is in the name of our show, right, before they were live, um, referring to the fact that everything is becoming live action this day, these days. Like, the things that, that they do with his character animation and, and the, the physical comedy of the way that he moves, and, you know, even, even the, during the... Um, the chase scene at the end with the headless horseman, which is quite intense. And I can see how you'd be terrified of it as a, as a child. Um, it's still humorous in the way that his body moves on the horse and the way he's like, um, yeah, like falling off the horse and, you know, riding upside down and all the stuff that, that, uh, cartoon characters commonly do when they're in a fast horse race. Um, yeah, it's all just, it's the strengths, all the strengths of animation are are on full display in this in this little short. And of course, they did make a live version of this kind of. Tim Burton had a Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, I never saw that one. So it's it's not an adaptation of of the of the Irving story in any meaningful way. It's not a bad movie, but it's not it's not a it, yeah. I mean, it, you would not call that a live version of this cartoon. Yeah, is does Johnny Depp play Ichabod? Of course. Yeah, well that 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 makes sense, I guess. Because <laughs> that guy, I mean, every movie he he seems to play that role of uh, seeming to be in a in a different movie. <laughs> well, this was before his pile of scarves period. <laughs> <laughs> Just gather around, and I'll elucidate on what goes on outside when it gets late. Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees. They get together for their nightly jamboree. There's things with horns and saucer eyes. Some with fangs about this size. Some are fat and some are thin. And some don't even wear their skin. Oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight. See what goes on Halloween night. <laughs> when spoons have a midnight jamboree, they break it up with English glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the head 
This horseman, he's the worst. That's right, he's should we talk about the music? We should talk about the music. Yes, I was going to ask you about it because I, I really enjoyed the music in this one. I get, um, I get the title song Ichabod stuck in my head all the time. Yeah, Ichabod. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. um, most famously, the Headless Horseman song. Uh, if you can, if you can reach the bridge, my friend, the ghost is gone. His power ends. Uh, I remember. As I told you, I watched this movie dozens of times when I was a kid, but I remember one morning I woke up before everybody else. It was probably 4 a.m., and uh, I went into our uh, playroom, essentially, where we kept the Nintendo, and it was dark, you know, and kids are afraid of the dark, and I got I got really scared. And uh, I heard in my voice, in my uh, in my head, I heard a voice that said, if you can reach the Nintendo, my friend, the ghost is gone with the power ends. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It's, it's, nice that, it's nice that Disney gave me the rules for... <laughs> yeah, that's a... I mean, that's such a great scene. The whole... The, the, so Brom tells... Brom sings this song, uh, the one that you're talking about, and uh, he's he's telling it because, as you said in your summary, he knows that that this is going to frighten Ichabod, and I think you get the sense that he's actually going to then um, run Ichabod out of town by becoming the headless horseman. But I, that's that's the card I kept waiting for them to pull, like was to reveal that you know the headless horseman was actually brahm you know like after ichabod runs off like you know he takes off the cloak but they don't do that they don't like i guess they in in some ways they expect you to get it um uh or or they wanted to leave it nebulous as far as you know is this headless horseman real or what but but um, also i mean ichabod looks down the neck of his coat yeah and and doesn't see human the top of a human head i mean he freaks out when he does it so i mean i, yeah, I think the implication is this is real yeah Oof. yeah <laughs> that that oof came right right straight from childhood michael <laughs> oh i know i i, uh, I was so afraid of it i was so afraid of it and and then that that flaming pumpkin coming right at the camera yeah but the 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 song uh, to go back to the song is 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 just wonderful. He's dancing around the room, and uh, Ichabod's you know so scared that he can't even pay attention to to what he's eating, and um, pours all the red pepper on the uh, is it a hard boiled egg? Yeah, on a hard boiled egg, and uh, Katrina's laughing at him because she's seeing how scared that he's getting, which is you know what Brom wants, and uh, yeah, just yeah, very catchy, very. Um, yeah, just I, I wish I had better words for it. It's just it's just excellent. It's really fun. I encourage you to go watch it if you haven't watched it. And the the third song is Katrina, which is a kind of dreamy crooner ballad, that the sort of thing that Bing Crosby got famous doing. Oh, boo boo yeah. boo boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, that was that was Strangers in the Night, which is that's the Sinatra's. <laughs> <laughs> Not the same thing. Not the same thing. Although very similar to the uh, to uh, when Ichabod is is teaching the uh, is teaching the the ladies of the town. What's he doing? He's he's awakening their cultural uh, appreciation or something like that. Is I think how the 
how the narration goes. And so he's, he's teaching choir and, and he does that a boo boo boo. Um, and then that's when, uh, Brom gets the dog to bark and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ichabod is so confused. He's even looking at like on his sleeves, like, where is there a dog hiding in my, in my coat somewhere? So it's really funny. It's just, yeah, really funny. Brom is such a jag. <laughs> But I I don't know I feel like uh, like because Ichabod is also so unlikable in a way you kind of uh, yeah you can kind of cheer for Brom at the same time. It is actually difficult to tell who who the real hero of this story is. Yeah, I don't know if there is one. I don't know if it's more of like a morality tale. Like, um, yeah, Ichab- like Ichabod is the example of of not of how not to be right like don't be gluttonous and don't be using people only for their, their wealth or their food or whatever. I mean, he's really a slave to his, his passions in a way in that way. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, one interesting thing is once he meets Katrina, he no longer knows how to eat because there's that great scene where he puts the Turkey on top of his head and eats his hat. Right. Yeah. It's, it's discombobulated in that way, which kind of, uh, uh, parallels the, when he's so frightened, he doesn't know how to eat because he's he's spilling the pepper all over his egg. He's not a free man. He's a slave. He's a slave to his passions. Yeah. So in that way, the hero is. I mean, there's not necessarily a hero. It's just the uh, he's an example of of what how not to be. I, and I mean th- that kind of story without a without anyone to root for is not a- atypical of. Washington Irving either. His other famous story is uh, Rip Van Winkle. Right. Yeah, which we mentioned, I think, on the show before. Um, yeah. The, the guy who goes off into the woods and sleeps for 20 years to get away from his naggy wife. Right. right. Yeah, that's, that's right. So she's terrible and he's terrible. You can't blame her for being awful because he's so lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Does that fit into a larger? I mean, was that is that like a Washington Irving thing, or is that a? Uh, so the, the way the <laughs> this movie does very little to tie these two shorts together, but they they do the the most fabulous character in English literature is J. Thaddeus Toad, and then Bing Crosby comes in and says, "Yeah, we've got some good ones in America too." Uh, my favorite is Ichabod Crane. Is that you know, is it is it an American? sort of style or uh, you know what's interesting I know that Rip Van Winkle is not originally an American story um, it's a Dutch legend that that Irving transplanted I don't know about Sleepy Hollow I, I, I think it is also something that he he moved from its original location hmm. uh, you know this is very early American literature I think I think the sketchbook that these come from is 1816 it's before there was really an American literary tradition, yeah, um, and and so it's it's interesting that that's where Bing Crosby would go because it's it's it is the very beginning of of American letters. Yeah, and again, though, all the other ones that Bing Crosby mentions, we get shorts for at some point, like he mentions uh, um, Johnny Appleseed and uh, Pecos Bill, which we just watched the shorts for those ones, and then uh, he mentions Paul Bunyan. Um, so 
is interesting because the one he chose is the only one that's actually literature. The others are, are uh, you know, legends. There, there's no, there's no ur text for them. Yeah. Although this one has legend in the name. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which I mean, the legend itself is is the headless horseman. Yeah. Yeah. So that headless horseman going back to the animation style the, the way that headless horseman is drawn is is just wonderful talk about again like looks like it could be from another cartoon like the style is completely different from anything else that's in this cartoon but it just really works and it's very um i don't, I don't know it's uh, it's not abstract um it's definitely concrete what you're looking at but like the the way the colors are or something like there's no there, there's like no border around the the character you know like he's very uh in silhouette a lot of the time but not exactly a silhouette like there is color there i don't i don't know if i'm describing it well but i i really liked how it looked and it really um yeah just um yeah that that whole part of the the movie was great just you know as he's going through the woods we get the uh you know most most of this has been pretty um flat and static but we do get a, a a little bit of the um, the multiplane camera coming back in as he's, as you know, I think as Ichabod's like looking back through the woods, it's like it feels like it's closing in on him, and it seems like they must have used the multiplane camera there. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of great, great shots in that final sequence. Yeah, the really, the really iconic shot of um, the headless horseman holding up his sword and the jack o' lantern against the pink background, right when he's about to throw it. That's a really, that's a really tremendous sequence. Yeah. Did your kids watch this? Nope, I did not show this one to them. I imagine uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to show them Toad, but not until after we finished the book. And as I mentioned earlier, we haven't we haven't got all the way through the book yet. So, um, yeah. So. Oh, yeah, I think this some, would be too much for a lot of the kids. One, but yeah, I, will, I, I would not show them the, the Ichabod one for, for a while. It's quite intense. And don't take them on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride until they're older. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One other thing I wanted to mention uh, was just the the use of like uh, I guess you would call it percussion. I don't know. Like, there's uh, we were talking about the music earlier. Like um, when Ichabod's knees are rattling together, like, and then uh, he at one point he thinks he hears the hooves of the of the horse, but it's actually the uh, the what the cattails um, beating against a, a hollow log, just I, I don't know. There's there's so much in this in this short that I just really really enjoyed. When he starts laughing hysterically, and then uh, you know the uh, the headless horseman actually shows up. Yeah, it reminds me of a similar scene in Mister Toad where he um, he's he's escaping and he has a cartoon ball and chain attached to his foot and he jumps into a river. And he starts laughing that he's gotten away. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then a fish floats up next to him and starts laughing. <laughs> so he realizes he's <laughs> underwater. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what they have in common. M- maybe that's the thing that connects them. The scene maybe where they're so. laughing without a reason to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much of a common theme on this one, but it's okay. I think the well. party line is that these are both characters who suffer misfortune. Okay, <laughs> but uh, I don't see how that doesn't describe every cartoon character. <laughs> That's a fair point. 
Yeah. Well, anything anything uh, else to say about old Icky? <laughs> no, and I, this is this is the best film since Bambi. I don't think it's better than Bambi, but it it is miles and miles above everything else between Bambi and this. So, uh, Dis- the Disney Studio is back as far as I'm concerned with this. And by the time we get to Cinderella, which is the next one, um, there's you know the 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 budget crisis is over, and that movie is you know as good as anything uh, the first five years. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that completely. Well, you wanted to uh, rank the shorts from the package films? Yeah, I was thinking that'd be kind of fun. Just a a kind of end. We've we've reached the end of them. um, So I thought it'd be kind of fun to to just go through and and kind of put up a almost like a best of compilation together of the shorts since they're since as we've mentioned multiple times they're not really connected on any theme anyway um you know if you if we were putting together kind of a top 10 uh together it might be fun there are according to wikipedia uh, the way wikipedia breaks them down uh there's 31 shorts all together in these in these six package films um i say that because uh, I remember during Three Caballeros, we were really having a hard time differentiating where one short started and ended. So um, using the Wikipedia, there was 31 to choose from. So I thought it'd be fun to, uh, not knowing what your your top 10 are and not knowing what mine are, to, to kind of do it in a draft style, um, which I'm stealing from another podcast, uh, one of my favorites. Um, it's called The In- Incomparable, and they do lots of um, drafts on silly things like this. So um you pick one, and if 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 you pick one of mine, then then I can't pick it, obviously, or or vice versa. And we'll we'll see what our our top ten ends up with. And let's um, um let's do it like this. I'll do the first one, then you do your first one, then you do your second one, then I do my second one, and we'll snake around like that. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. So my top one is Sleepy Hollow. Uh, I I think it's just heads and tails above absolutely everything else. Uh, in the forties, um, and uh. Since we just talked about it, we probably don't need more discussion than that. Yeah, other other than to say, I'm surprised. I I I really enjoyed it as as I just was saying, but I, I was not my number one. So yeah, I'm, I'm surprised by that. Um, I'm going to say my number one from all these that we watched was actually I'm not even going to try the Portuguese. I'm going to just translate it into the English. Is the Watercolors of Brazil from Saludos Amigos? Uh, a wonderful a wonderful short. Um. And my number two is um, Mickey and the Beanstalk. I think just because of the nostalgia factor for me, that's the one I grew up watching. And uh, yeah, I just really, really love that one. Both of those are on my list later on. Um, Wind in the Willows is my number two. My number three is Pecos Bill from, uh, uh, is that Make Mine Music? Uh, From Melody Time. Melody Time. Yeah. All right, both of those are also on my list, um, but a little lower. You, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if you're, you're not a, uh, you're one and two, or both these ones that we just watched. I'm wondering if it's just the, the recentness that is, uh, you're biased towards it, the recent. It may be. I don't remember any of the <laughs> other ones. <laughs> All right. Well, that puts us at, um, let's see. That's we're at four now, right? So I'm at number five. Uh, I just read my third. So you right, should you I mean, should do your number three and your number four. 
Right. Assuming you haven't taken them. Right. Okay. Well, you so, go ahead and say what they are. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, my number my number three is uh, the whale who wanted to sing at the Met, and my number four is. Sorry, I, I wrote them all down in order, and then I numbered them, and so now I have to find my numbers. Um, where is my number four? This is great radio right here. Oh, The Legend of Johnny Appleseed. There it is. Number four, Legend of Johnny Appleseed. Also my number four. Nice. Uh, my number five is Watercolors of Brazil. Okay. Go go ahead and pick another one since I already picked that one. Uh, my next one, and and at this point I may as well just go through the rest of my list since we're not really giving a whole lot of discussion to them anyway. Here here's the rest of my list from from uh, I'll, I'll just read the whole thing from the top. Sleepy okay, Hollow, The Wind in the Willows, Pecos Bill, Legend of Johnny Appleseed, Watercolors of Brazil, Whale Who Wanted to Sing at the Met is number six. Number seven is Mickey and the Beanstalk, um, and then eight, nine, and ten are Peter and the Wolf, Blue Bayou, and Bumble Boogie. <laughs> all right that's great so we're we're diverging a little bit there at the end um because i i yeah uh bumble boogie and blue bayou i had, had a little lower um so let's see i was on number uh four i think number, yeah number four was johnny appleseed um five was uh sleepy hollow uh which you already took six was pecos bill seven was mr toad eight is uh, Bongo, I liked Bongo. Wow. Uh, nine was Peter and the Wolf, and then ten is Little Toot. Little Toot, I can't believe it. <laughs> a true, a true outlier. <laughs> yeah, it got really hard towards the end. The the first three or four, I like. I was like, okay, these are for sure. I really, I, I really enjoyed these ones. But then, uh, yeah, you could. Probably my 10 through 15 or 18, you could just, you know, pick them out of a hat and do it differently. And then my, yeah, down towards the bottom, 31, it doesn't even matter, really. I mean, it seems like we agreed on the first seven or so. Yeah, for sure. Those are the easiest ones. So. Yeah, because I think, I think there are seven that were on your list that were on my list. And then and, and those were my first seven. Did you have Peter and the Wolf? Yeah, Peter and the Wolf was my number nine. Eight. So the only, the only two I had that you didn't are Blue Bayou and Bumble Boogie. And then you had Little Toot, and there was another one that... And Bongo. Bongo. Yeah. yeah. And your lowest one was? My lowest is You Belong to My Heart, which is the uh, the psychedelic uh, Donald scene at the end of uh, Three Caballeros. Yeah. <laughs> well, Three Caballeros <laughs> is a garbage movie. Yeah, <laughs> There's I didn't really have just nothing good about it. Yeah, I, I so, think my least favorite is Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet from Make Mod Music. Yeah, I had that one very low on my my rankings as well. I had that one at so I I ranked them all because that's I'm just that kind of person. Um, so I had that one at twenty nine. So. Out of thirty one. Out of thirty one. Yeah. Well, so I mean, something sublime and something ridiculous, right? That's right. Yeah. The the package films are a mixed bag. Uh, they divided all those shorts up and repackaged them throughout the 20th century. Uh, maybe your best to doing that as well. There's certainly some shorts that nobody needs to see, and there's shorts that it's cool to watch once, but I can't imagine watching more than that. And then there's some really wonderful stuff. And we dug through it so you didn't have to, I suppose. That's right. 
Yeah. Although, if you followed along, as I know some of you did, <laughs> and we drug you, drug you along with us. So, but yeah, thank you for thank you for doing that. It's all um, uh, it's I, all it's all up from here. At least until at least through the fifties, I I don't think there's a bad movie. Right. But, so the yeah so basically the way that um the way that I've seen it broken down is there's there's the golden era which is basically those first uh, five films and then there's the package film era which is these six that we went just went through there's the silver era. And then I forget after silver what they call it the dark ages maybe <laughs> with the the dark times at Disney I'm 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 blanking on what they call that so I'll be interested when we get there um, if uh, there is there's movies there that are worse than than these ones that we've been watching but um, I, I mean I'll I just, say I'll say three of my favorite Disney movies are from the 60s 101 Dalmatians Rob, Robin Hood's from the 70s and uh, the Jungle Book. Right, I think, and I think all of those are still considered silver era. I don't think you get to, uh, you know, there's a there's a YouTube video that I'll I'll link to on the, um, on the website that uh, it uh, it 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 breaks down the whole thing. So um, they go from golden era to packaged silver, whatever they call that dark times in between. Then there's the Disney Renaissance, which we were kids for. Um, I think starting with Little Mermaid, maybe it's like the Disney Renaissance era. Then there's the second uh, lackadaisical era. <laughs> um, I don't remember what they call. They have they have they have kinder names for the Dark Ages. And then there's the uh, the Disney Ascendant era or the modern era that we're in now with uh, Lasseter back at the helm. So yeah, it'll be interesting um, to see what happens now that he is no longer at the helm. Oh really? I missed that news. Oh yeah, it was part of the Me Too thing. He. Uh, he oh no. Yeah. Really? Oh man, I wish I'd not heard that. I'm sorry. I don't mean to oh, harsh your mellow, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bummer. I, I don't think I don't think he was accused of raping anybody, but I think he. I don't know. Oh. He he resigned. I should say they didn't they didn't kick him out. He resigned because he saw it coming, and it's a bummer. That is that is a real bummer. Um. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. These are these are good times that we live in. That all this stuff is coming to light. I mean, I would not want it the other way. Where I mean, where it has been, where all these things are in the dark. But man, it's rough <laughs> because yeah, yeah. these people that you, uh, you know, I mean, I really admire John John Lasseter and the the work that he's done. And so that's yeah, that's really unfortunate to to hear. Yeah, we should say our disappointment is not that John Lasseter is no longer the head of Disney, it's that he did yes. the things he did that made him no longer the head of Disney. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. So it's, if he did those things, he should not be. He should not be the head. I agree. 100%. 100% <laughs> I agree. And if I if I came across differently, I didn't mean to. I just I'm I'm hearing this news for the first time and so uh, yeah, I, I didn't realize that. And that is like I said, that is a guy that that I admired and so to hear that he is actually uh more of a Nicobod is <laughs> unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully our society will not have to to throw out every good thing a bad person does, or you know, define everybody by their worst actions, uh, which is not the same thing as saying like, uh, let's all go watch the Cosby Show. Yeah, I think that it, that is something that that we're having to do, to reckon with now as people, and I think in, in some ways it's really good, right? Like. Um, the in in that sense of um, 
you know, just going back to the name of, of the network, right? Like, uh, the Christian humanist network. Like, what's the difference between a Christian humanist and a secular humanist? Um, I'm sure there's, there's many things, but, you know, that kind of assumed innate goodness of all people is, is not really, uh, not really the Christian doctrine, right? Like, we're all, we're all, uh, we all fall short and are in need of the glory of God, right? Or the, what's, Grace. Fall short of the glory of God. Of the first go, man, now I'm stumbling over it. Yeah, we all fall short of the glory of God, right? Um, and so we need, yeah, we need grace. And so, and yeah, nothing that we, nothing that we create is, is our worst of us or our best of us, I guess. So. Still, it stinks when somebody you admire does something terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not moving into the Silver Age just yet. Uh, our next episode is going to be a series of shorts from the 1930s and 40s, and then we'll yeah, we we'll, just can't get enough of the shorts. <laughs> yes, it's true. I just I just thought, well, when are we going to do these if we don't do them now? So I have a list here of the ones we're going to do, and they're not in chronological order or alphabetical order, but you can write them down anyway. I think most of these are on YouTube. Is that did you look at them all? Uh, I have seen. Yeah, I think I. I think they're all on YouTube. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Okay. So here they are. Uh, How to Play Baseball, which is a Disney short, or a Goofy short. They're all Disney shorts. Uh, Ferdinand the Bull, uh, of course, the old short and not the new computer animated full-length movie. Chicken Little, again, this is, the, this is an older short, not, a, uh, not, a, not the terrible computer animated Zach Braff movie, which we'll get to later. The, ba- <laughs> the Band Concert. Alpine Climbers, The Lonesome Ghosts, and The Three Little Pigs. So we'll be watching those seven uh, for next next month and talking about them, and then we'll move into the Silver Age with Cinderella the month after that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And then... Uh... And then continuing this tradition forward as uh, as we reach the end of a decade to stop and also look at the uh, the shorts that were in that decade, I think is a is a fun idea. So, well, we'll only be able um, to do that for a few. For uh, I mean, the fifties have shorts, the sixties, seventies, eighties. They don't really have shorts to speak of. But I thought maybe at the end of the sixties we could watch Mary Poppins. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because there, there are other things that don't really fit into the the Disney animated canon that ne- nevertheless I think could use our scrutiny. So. <laughs> expect an interlude like this at the end of every decade. Yeah, I like how you said that. So many things. The problem yeah, is, I usually watch these twice, it. and uh, Mary Poppins is about three hours long. So, <laughs> <laughs> I may only watch that one once. All right. Well, uh, looking forward to that next month. Um, so, uh, Michael and I know there are a great number of podcasts out there that you could be spending your time on. Uh, so thank you for choosing us. Uh, do you love what we said? Do you hate what we said? Uh, was there something that we missed? Uh, please let us know. Help us continue the conversation um, by emailing us at beforetheywerelive at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter. I'm at the underscore alt, and Michael is at Michael Farmer. Um, we are a proud member of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Uh, you can find all our past shows and many other shows on the network at christianhumanist.org. Uh, if you love show notes, you can point your browser over to before they were dot live. The best show uh, notes on up- the internet. <laughs> when they get updated, they're not they're not always updated as quickly as the shows are, but um, they they get there eventually. Um, our press liaison is Kirsten Philippic. 
Uh, I wanted to end by saying that we are 11 shows in, and I've been looking for a closing tagline <laughs> for all these 11 shows. Um, I may have finally found one. I'm not sure. Uh, but I wanted to reiterate that one of the purposes of our shows is just to look at those things that shape our imaginations. And uh, many times recently, um, I've been allowed my own imagination to be shaped by the news and global politics and these things that are really concerning to me. Um, and sometimes uh, they, they lead me towards gloom. Um, I found a quote this week as I was researching for this show um, at Disney had said in the, in the height of the cold war era, as people were um, worried about nuclear annihilation. And he said, if people would think more of fairies, they would soon forget the atom bomb. So I leave you with that bit of encouragement. Um, go think of fairies. <laughs>